Merry Christmas. It truly is a joy to see you all today. I really appreciate you coming out on Christmas morning to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus. It's very important. This may not seem like a big thing, but this is a big show. This is a big show because there are many, many watching. And I don't just mean the eyes of those of us in the room that we can see. There are many, many watching in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there are many of the heavenly host, many of the armies of angels in heaven who are smiling in that spiritual realm, seeing so many of us who get it. So many of us who've chosen to be here, even though it's Christmas morning. Even though it's fun, impossible, yet fun to sleep in. It can't be done when there are children in the home on Christmas, but it is fun. It's Sunday, so there's lots of games to be watched. There's lots of things to be done. There's lots of traditions to be had. I understand that. And I am grateful for the opportunity that you will have to get to do those. Many of you may have already had the Christmas Kringle or the quiche. Many of you opened far more than just stockings already. I know, I know, I get it. I'm grateful that you're here. Because when we worship together, we are putting on a show for all those angels above, and they see what we are doing. They see the importance of this, because make no mistake, there is a realm that goes far beyond that which we can see. We can see the presents, we can see the gifts, we can see the trappings and wrappings. We can open them up and we can enjoy them. But there is something that is oftentimes very difficult for us to do, and that is, unlike the ability we have to peel back the wrapping paper, it is oftentimes difficult to peel back the curtain of the physical realm and see the spiritual realm. Oftentimes, God has to give this to us. Elisha, the great prophet of God, asked in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the eyes of his servant be opened when the city of Jerusalem was surrounded, and God did so. And he realized that Elisha was right. Those on our side far outnumber those on theirs. Yes, indeed. There are so many things going on. And this Christmas run, we've taken a slightly different tack. Rather than just reading exclusively the traditional Christmas texts, we've looked at some less than traditional Christmas texts. And the foundational basis for our Christmas run, Hark, the Herald Angels See, was out of Revelation 12. Believe it or not, Revelation 12, talking about the cosmic sign, the great seven-headed dragon, ready to devour the offspring of a cosmically pregnant woman. And we understood that there is a war that rages. The forces of evil gather, seeking to distract and dissuade us from worship of Yahweh Almighty. The forces of evil gather, hoping to make us view the jolly fat man more than the infant baby. The forces of evil gather... The fallen angels, the demons, collectively come together to get us to focus on all of the bad things in this world, all of the darkness, rather than worshiping the light of life. And yet, God Almighty, Yahweh of hosts, our perfect, eternal, necessary, triune, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good master beckons us to the light. He beckons us to the light, and he does this in three primary ways. His very presence, which we celebrate at Christmas by reaching down and pulling us back to himself. 
which he does through the presence of his Holy Spirit inside of us who believe, which he does through his very presence all the time. And yet he also does this through external sources, the word of God, the word of God that we love and cherish so dearly, the word for which we have such high reverence. It points to him. It explains to us the nature of who it is we worship, whom it is we worship every single day. And the third primary way that he gets a hold of us is another external means, is through his people, through his people, human and angelic. For you have served as God's people, encouraging others to come to church, blessing them financially and spiritually, bearing one another's burdens. You have confessed your sin. You have received those who have poured out their souls unto God on God's behalf. I know that, but we are not the only people at play. There are angelic beings who work alongside those human beings. There are angelic beings who work alongside that divine being, Yahweh of hosts, to accomplish His will. Many of us have entertained angels unaware. We haven't even realized it. But they exist, and they are at work. And they have a very important role in this Christmas drama. And today, I hope, by reading a very traditional Christmas text, one, in fact, at our home, that must be read before the frenzy begins. Putting the chum in the water, so to speak, so that the sharks who are ready to devour and bite and jump can tear into their gifts. Oh, before that happens, there is a young volunteer in our family who will read the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke, a preview of coming attractions at the Cook and Kirshner household. Would you stand with me now in reverence and awe of God's Word as we read, as you allow me to read to you, I should say, Luke chapter 2, this great Christmas story. Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and who was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been for you a Savior. There's born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which God had been told them about this child. And all who heard it marveled at the things which they were told by the shepherds. But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as was told them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This Christmas story is so fantastic. It's very traditional. We all know the tale. We all know the tale of the young couple, Joseph and Mary, who are betrothed. They are to be wed, and they have to go From the northern town of Nazareth, they have to go south a little bit towards Jerusalem to Bethlehem, just on the outskirts, about six or seven miles away from Jerusalem. They have to go to be counted because Caesar Augustus wants to know how many people are in his empire. And so he's counting them all, getting everybody to their ancestral home so that they can be taken account of. And we know that even though Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, there's no place for her or for Joseph. And so upon arrival at Bethlehem, she gives birth to her firstborn son, has to wrap him in cloths and has to lay him in a manger. And we, we know the spiritual significance, how this story is replete with meaning. We understand that Jesus, which means Yahweh with us, or Yahweh saves, God with us. We understand that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And this is indicated by lying him in a manger. The feeding trough that those animals to be sacrificed later would come to eat from. We understand that Jesus himself would be sacrificed later. We understand the spiritual significance of the things that are happening here. The shepherds who watch over those sheep, those lambs, which will grow to be the blemishless sacrifice on Passover. We understand all of that and how Jesus will fulfill the mission, how he will truly be the Passover lamb, how he will simultaneously be the good shepherd. We know all of this. But there's something that may not strike us, that we may not understand as clearly from this good Christmas text. And it is not merely an angel of the Lord coming to proclaim to the shepherds this good news. No, no, no. It's what happens right after that. And then behold, a great multitude of the heavenly hosts, a great number of angelic warriors, the angel armies of God appear. Now, we're thrown off just a little bit because they're praising God. But this praising of God does not diminish their battle readiness. Instead, I want you to understand the praising of God. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to whom his favor rests. I want you to understand this as a battle cry. 
I want you to understand angelic spear, angelic sword, flaming, clashing with shield, ready to do battle. For in the spiritual realm, angels are not merely messengers. Oh, messengers they are. And we've heard about Michael and his great warrior nature. And Gabriel and his great warrior nature and his great messenger assignment. But angels are not merely messengers. Angels are also warriors. That word host, host, it does not merely mean someone who invites with hospitality into his home. No, host means a gathering of warriors. And the heavenly host is quite literally the angel armies. When the Bible says Yahweh Almighty or God Almighty, this is better translated as Yahweh of hosts. Oftentimes, our English translations in the Old Testament will say, the Lord Almighty. And we understand what this means, for God indeed is all-powerful. But if you rightly translate the words, it is not Adonai, and then the Hebrew word for all-powerful. It is Yahweh, the name of God, and then the Hebrew for of angelic armies. Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts. The commander of the angelic armies. It is his zeal. It is his love. It is his great desire for those he made in his image. For Yahweh is the name of our triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who made this world the will of the Father, the spoken word of the Son creating it all, and the Spirit who works amongst it all, indwelling all believers to bring us back to Him. It is Yahweh of hosts who gets this done. And we know from Revelation chapter 12 that the battle rages on. Michael and his angels fought against that serpent, that dragon, the devil, Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer, who wants to distract us and dissuade us and accuse us and separate us from God. May it never be that we can be separated from God, for we know the truth. What can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And the answer is nothing. It's not angel nor demon, sword nor shield, famine. There is nothing in heaven or under heaven that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing at all. And yet we have an adversary who fights a losing battle, but even an adversary fighting a losing battle can pick off a few from time to time. And he, well, foolish, is no fool. He understands full well that he doesn't have to get everyone to turn he just needs to get enough to turn. Enough people to think the spiritual realm doesn't exist. Enough people to believe the greatest trick the devil ever pulled, which is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. He just needs enough people to be distracted. Enough people to think about that battle and that war and that famine and that interest rate hike and that bad thing and that slaying and that economic crash and that game and that election. He just needs enough people to turn their eye. For John Newton said, there are many who stumble about at noontime, not for want of light, but for want of eyes. And if he can just get our eyes not to see, ooh, 
he snookered us all. But we have eyes to see. And when we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive, we are asking Yahweh of hosts to reveal the truth to us. We are not merely pawns on the cosmic chessboard of battle. No, we are the prize. And we are warriors along with the angels. And we must fight. For the fight has been raging long before our lifetime, long before the dawn of humanity itself. There has been a war. God allowed angels, which he created, to choose. And some chose poorly. And in fact, it was that fallen angel who helped convince Eve and Adam to be distracted, to turn to turn a blind eye to God's command and to open an eye to one's own pride. For they wanted to be like God. And so they took of the fruit that they were not supposed to take and their eyes were opened. And now, knowing good and evil, they recognized their own shame, their own fallenness, their own sinfulness, their own separation. And Satan had won a victory, but this was a small battle compared to the big war. And in Genesis chapter 3, Yahweh of hosts, God Almighty, says to that serpent, from now on you will slither on the ground. And I will put enmity between you, your offspring, and the woman and her offspring. And the very first prophecy of the entire Bible is about Jesus in Genesis 3.15. That enmity, that battle, that warrior nature between the devil and the offspring of the woman has been prophesied since the beginning. And God himself says, you will strike his heel. Speaking to Satan about the offspring of the woman, but he will crush your head. Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus has eliminated the separation between God and man by mediating the two, by becoming man for us. God the Son, Yahweh saves, took on human flesh to save each of us. And in so doing, he stomped the devil, crushed his head and his effectiveness. And now that wounded serpent lashes out and tries to get those who have not decided not to decide. But we understand that just as the book of Revelation tells us, this ancient serpent, this dragon, the devil, wants to devour this child. The reason that God orchestrated everything he did was moves and counter moves. God prophesied how it would happen and so we knew what would come to be, but the devil still had a role to play. And so he whispered into the ear, we think this is just God, no, 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 this was the devil's doing. He whispered into the ear of Caesar, call a census, find out who you've got. For I've got to see where this kid will be. And sure enough, the census was called, and Joseph and Mary went to their ancestral home, to Bethlehem, to be registered. This seems innocuous, and yet this was all part of the divine plan, all part of the cosmic battle. For the next wave of battle was this when God revealed the star so that those magi from the east trained by Daniel hundreds of years earlier in the word of God knew the prophecy, knew for what they were looking, knew to come to worship the king of the Jews, and they did. 
the devil already had it planned. He already knew the best way to get rid of a new child is to get rid of all the children. He tried this centuries before. He tried this back in Egypt. There are too many Hebrews. I know what we'll do. We'll kill all the boys. And yet God had a way to keep his chosen, Moses, safe. Yes, he was sent in that little basket down the way, only to be discovered by Pharaoh's own daughter. To be raised by Moses' own mom. Every move our enemy makes is already anticipated by Yahweh of hosts. And the counter is already set. And all he has to do is turn it. And so it is that the angelic army was prepared, was ready, knowing what would come, knowing that the heart of our enemy would convince our earthly foe, to, I know what we can do. Let's just kill all the kids in Bethlehem. Let's just kill all of them in the vicinity. And the mad king, the murderous king, false puppet king of the Jews, set out his plan to kill all the baby boys, two and younger. Oh, God knew this was coming. He knew this was coming. And he would not let his own son, Yahweh would not let Yahweh saves, God the Father would not let God the Son fall, not yet. He was born with the cross in mind, but you would not be able to kill him until the will of the Father allowed it. And so to prevent an early demise, the angelic army was called, all hands on deck. And indeed, Gabriel, standing just to the flank of Michael, that general of the army under the great chief command of Yahweh himself, assembled the ranks. And when Gabriel proclaimed to those shepherds, do not be afraid, for I have good news that will bring great joy to all the people. For unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Now go to Bethlehem and see these things. The great host of heavenly armies showed up. You think anyone was going to touch that baby child other than exactly whom God wanted to touch him? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a finger, as one of our great Christmas movies might tell us. How much do we love a shattered lamp? How much more does God love his infant son? There would not be a finger laid on him that day. There would not be a finger laid on him in the next two years, in the next 12 years, in the next 18 years after that. There would not be a finger laid on him even after baptized, even after receiving the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, even after kicking off his public ministry. There would not be a finger laid on him. Even though the people wanted to throw him off a cliff to his death, he walked right through their midst. There would not be a finger laid on him by his enemies or by those who would worship him, who wanted him to be an earthly king. No, no. He would not be made king by force. His kingdom is not of this land. His kingdom is not of this realm. There would not be a finger laid on him when the plot was made to kill him after he raised Lazarus. There would not be a finger laid on him until the night before he died. When standing in the garden, ready to fulfill the reason for which he was born, 
He said to his disciples, do you not think, as commander of the heavenly host, I could call 10,000 legions of angels to come and protect me now? But no, now my time has come. And the gift that was promised at his birth, which we celebrate today, was opened. The string was pulled the night before he was killed, and a finger was laid on him. He was arrested by mere men who were whispered to by ancient foes. He was bruised. He was beaten. He was chastised. He was punished. All for our sin, sin that he never committed, so that we could be with Yahweh once more. And then that gift was opened further. It was unwrapped as the flesh was torn from his body and as he was nailed to the cross, as he was speared for our transgressions and the blood flowed, the gift was opened and it was displayed for the whole world. God's grace on full display. Yahweh saves, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Lord, the anointed chosen one, God on earth. The grace of God has appeared to all men and yet not all men have been saved and that is because even though the gift was unwrapped long ago, it has now been wrapped and handed to each person alive and the way that we receive God's grace is through faith. And faith is our unwrapping of the gift for us, for it has been individualized for us. Jesus died for us. And yet the reason that there are people who are not saved is because they have not opened it. Imagine receiving a gift on Christmas morning and saying, thanks, this is great, and never opening it. Have you really gotten what was on the inside? Have you done anything with it? Now, as a gift, you haven't earned it. You haven't done anything to get it. You have been given this gift, but if you do not open it, It gathers dust, and it does not do that which it was designed to do. And so is God's grace. Given to all, and yet not opened by all, it gathers dust in the lives of those who refuse by faith to open it, who refuse to believe in their heart that Yahweh raised Jesus from the dead having died on the cross. It gathers dust in the lives of those who refuse by faith to trust that he will do what he said he'll do. It gathers dust in the lives of those who refuse by faith to step in faith and to live and to confess and to repent and to be baptized and to be part of a community and to demonstrate with our loving obedience our devotion to Yahweh saves. And so our enemy doesn't have to prevent the gift from coming, he can't. The angels stopped his move long ago. Now, his tactic is just prevent people from opening it. Maybe on this Christmas morning, we can resolve to better open our gift, to more prominently display the gift given to us, and to encourage others to open the same gift which has been given to them. They don't have to do anything special to get it. It is already there. Now we can explain it. We can say, it's there behind the tree. You just don't see it. We can explain. It's behind the radiator. Just like that Red Rider BB gun might be hidden off to the side. It's there. All we have to do is show it to those. It has already been given to them. 
open it. For God's sake and for your benefit, open it. It's just here. Open it. And it will be the greatest gift you've ever received. Let's live like that is so, so that more want to join us in unwrapping this beautiful gift and changing their lives. Would you stand with me as we pray?